Welcome to the Lit Theory Podcast. Today, we're looking at the relevance of Nguyen Tiongo's 1968 on the abolition of the English department to today's Department of English. The Ivy League institution Cornell University made what's been referred to as groundbreaking developments to its English syllabus. Cornell teaching personnel overwhelmingly opted to make the switch from English literature to literature in English, something that's been stated as being a symbolic shift away from an overwhelmingly focus on England. It's something that's been hailed as a landmark moment in the fight against the lingering imperialism running through the heart of the English literature curriculum as we know it to be. But it's worth noting that the UK exam board, Cambridge International, has employed the term literature in English to both its English A-level syllabus and its IGCSE syllabus since 2016, four years before Cornell University became the first US institution to do so. In theory, you'd think this would have given Cambridge International enough time to begin developing an inclusive syllabus that addresses works in English into a globalised learning scheme. Looking at the 2020 included text lists from which teachers can choose from, this is not the case. Students currently undergoing the A-level CIE programme for literature in English had an examination option of 20 writers who came from what Cambridge International has dubbed a syllabus of different types and from different cultures. 12 out of 20 were British, 5 out of those 20 were American, and 2 out of the remaining 3 came from former British colonies. Clearly, whatever Cornell and Cambridge International have claimed to achieve in their renaming is seemingly a hollow initial step. But is it enough to revolutionise the tired existence of the English department beyond its current dilapidated state of Western biases? Enter Nguyen Tiongo. The stronghold of post-colonial theory stands as a living and advocating testament to the lasting burn of imperialist British rule of Kenya. He comments on the Bernal switch-up. The renaming opens up to more literary streams in their own right, not just under the umbrella of English literature. I hope other universities follow suit. Once again, while he's correct in clarifying the potential room for optimistic rejuvenation of the English department as a result of this technical wording change, of which signifies that the department has opened itself to further consideration of all cultures and various literary pioneers from international variations, it remains to be a comment that speaks to an exhaustive tone. His comment lacks the terms Cornell University are plastering the media with. There's no groundbreaking mention, no landmark moment, no overwhelming change. He addresses the technicalities of the term and nothing more not just under the English literature umbrella as he refers to. He's right, but it feels off. Nuki's use of hope and his longing for other universities to follow suit lacks the passion and punch that sizzled in his argument piece on the abolition of the English department. This use of hope in 2020 is a weak underarm throw compared to the impactful and directly confrontational 1968 overarm comments standing against the University of Nairobi's small, rather apologetic attempt to smuggle African writing into an English literature syllabus in our three colleges, as he quotes. In this piece, he reinstates the importance of a decolonised English department. Why can this be African? Why can't African literature be at the centre? And this is not a mere rhetoric. Demanding answers from the Kenyan English department during the 42nd meeting of the Arts Faculty Board, he still awaits his answer over 50 years later. The best we've been able to push for in the Western world, the root home of the coloniser, is a technicality change in the name of a syllabus that still remains outdated and drenched in the iron tang of colonial blood. Fifty years ago, Nguyen called for the abolition of the department in favour of a new department, the Department of African Literature and Languages, in order to bring African literature to the centre so that we can view other cultures in relationship to it. Whilst this works in the specific context of the University of Nairobi, we, as the colonisers, are left with the conundrum. What becomes of the English department as we know it, as the long-standing imperialist, self-congratulatory conquest of a young mind conditioning into believing Western greatness? In using Nguyen's suggestions for the then future of the Kenyan English department as the benchmark example, suggestions need to be laid out. If Nguyen rejected the primacy of English literature and culture as an institution within Kenya's borders, 
Where does the ethical primacy of English literature and its culture, with all its imperialistic undertones and problematic repetition of colonizer-approved texts, sit within a modern-day context? With the option of abolition too revolutionary for fragile and already decaying education systems within the UK, the ability to reform seems liable given the current climate, but it's not that simple. The obstacles that stand in the way of success in this dismantling of lingering colonial apparatus are difficult enough to provoke such words as hope, rather than guaranteed success, from one of the pioneers in this post-colonial restructure movement. Amongst an unfit undergraduate curriculum, a lack of real contemporary world relevance, a lack of student input, dominating and rising socially conservative worldviews in charge of the formulation of the English department, and differing approaches to curriculum and staff hire from university to university, all stand between truly rectifying the colonial bias of the English department as a dated institution. Taking Nguyen's words as inspiration for the model of the English department's ethos, or at least utilising it as an improvement from the existing ghost ethos of imperialist biases of, for Western authors, narratives concerning affluent white Christians and vilified foreigners, the primary duty of any literature department is to illuminate the spirit animating a people, to show how it meets new challenges, and to investigate possible areas of development and involvement. Stands the undergraduate curriculum across Western universities is, for the most part, archaic and exhaustive of text lists unchanged for, de for decades. It's no longer appropriate from a perspective of rapidly evolving modernity. Since the 1990s, the UK has become increasingly multicultural and secular, and this does not exclude university campuses. In opening the doors to a wider range of students, the dated tale of the colonizers' success is a slap in the face to first-generation Britons who recognize their ancestral involvement on the opposite side of representation. Of the current curriculum is unfit for consumption. Solutions come in the way of a reformed syllabus, a quota legally required by the Department of Education to cover all world continents, with historical context and selected variations of drama, poetry and prose, hailing from said continents, for example. A syllabus focusing on select texts from small publishing houses that select stories based on their intersectionality and representation of those on the peripheral sides, away from what Pascal Casanova would probably dub the literary centre, found in the Eurocentric literary landscape. The focus on this underrepresented, this focus on meeting legally determined quotas or for encouraged and additional compulsory measures on the promotion of the wider literary scope beyond the Western biases that have been instilled within the British education system since the birth of the empire and before, leaves a solid building block with which to handle the other issues this alternative to abolition brings. The English department's irrelevancy and its continued grasp on colonial texts and teachings and conducts see its irrelevancy in the modern context slip behind, of which only further exaggerates its antiquated practices by comparison to its continuously modernising counterparts. Solutions come in the way of fringe skill training, editing classes for publishing positions, focusing on news and contemporary literature pouring out of media outlets every day, and increasing English department alumni input in career path guidance excelling in an adaptation of transferable skills to increase employability. A refreshing inclusion of balance and sequence theory and practice, the plurality of theories and methods required in solving problems, the emphasis on creative approaches to embodying various perspectives and emotional intelligence. While such perspective changes as these make a curriculum incredibly difficult to change and grapple with, it would be the only way to maintain the English relevance and abandon this white-knuckle grip on colonial sentiments and textual focus that the English department desperately needs to let go.